season, and I hope it will be a blessing for you. Verse number 7 of Galatians 6 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. And this morning as we learn this principle of sowing and reaping, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that we would be not only hearers of your word, but doers also. I pray that your spirit would fill me this morning as I... Uh, as I try to transmit the message that you have given me, that I pray that I would be able to do it passionately and with clarity. I pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts. And if there are areas in our life that uh, need more of your molding uh, and more of your, uh, your word to correct and, and straighten those paths in our life, I pray that uh, this morning we would be receptive to that, that we would not only understand it, but that we would begin to live it out. I pray that you would speak to our hearts now, even this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Blood of 
Well, Sir Robert Watson Watt is the inventor of the radar detector, and some of us are a little bit familiar, if you have a driver's license, with what that radar detector can do. But what is interesting is that Sir Robert Watson Watt, at one time with this radar detector, was arrested himself for speeding. He had been caught in a radar trap as he was driving, and shortly after paying his ticket and after uh, seeing the situation and the irony that was in that situation, he wrote this little poem. He said, Pity Sir Robert Watson Watt, strange, tar strange target of his radar plot. And this, with others I could mention, a victim of his own invention. You know, when it comes to sowing and reaping, we find that that is a principle that applies to all areas in life. We find that it's a principle that not only applies to those that are uh, churchgoers, but also those that do not go to church. It's those that are uh, Christian and those that are not Christian. It's a principle of life. It is something that uh, we all must live by. It's, the, uh, it's, some, it's a truth that we all understand and have probably experienced at one time or another in our life. And it seems like everything in life comes down to the choices that we make. I remember uh, Brother John sharing with, uh, with uh, the young people what he learned in college. One of his professors would always say, life is choices. Choices have consequences, so make the right choice. You know, life is all about making the right choices. Life is all about understanding where I'm going to be if I make this decision in life. And as you get to the book of Galatians in, uh, in your Bible, you'll find that this is one of the first letters that Paul wrote to the churches. In fact, it was really, I believe, by some scholars to be the first uh, letter that he wrote uh, to all the churches that he had visited and began to plant. And, uh, and we find that uh, in this letter, uh, he's trying to correct some things that had had come into those churches, some, some wrong doctrine, some false teaching that had uh, come into those churches. Now, these were churches that Paul really, really loved. And uh, this was in a place of Galatia and the Roman Empire where you find the cities of Derby and Lystra and Iconium. And if you studied anything about Paul's life, you'll remember that it was in Lystra that as Paul was preaching that they stoned him and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. You can read about that story in Acts chapter 15. And, and you find that this was a place that, uh, and, and, and the churches that were established here in Galatia, this was a place that Paul really loved. Paul had sacrificed much to get the gospel to these cities. He had sacrificed much to get the gospel established in these churches. And so a few years later, that was after his first missionary journey, uh, a few years later he goes back to visit these churches and he finds that there are certain 
uh, false teachers that had come into these churches and, and had begun to teach a false gospel, a false doctrine. They, they began to teach that grace was not sufficient in itself to save a person. In fact, they began to teach that if you're going to be saved, if God is going to save your soul, you're going to have to work for it. And they said, not only do you have to accept Christ as your Savior, that's only part of salvation, but the other part of salvation is obeying the law of Moses, is actually uh, keeping the Ten Commandments. And if you cannot keep those kind of commandments, and if you cannot do and practice the law of Moses, then, then you're not saved. Then God will not save you. And it is a completely false doctrine. We call this doctrine legalism. Maybe you've heard the word, sometimes people want to accuse uh, a church that has very high standards as a legalistic church, but they're not really understanding what the term legalism has to do with. It has to do with salvation. It has nothing to do with sanctification or how separated you want to be from the world, but it has to do with the fact that unless you do these certain works, you cannot be saved. And so Paul begins to write to these churches in Galatia and he begins to explain to them that the gospel uh, is by grace and grace alone. He says there's nothing that you have to add to that. It's not grace and works. There are churches today and religions that would teach that if you're going to have a right relationship with God, you have to have a certain amount of works. Some say you have to have certain sacraments that you have to fulfill in your life. And others say you have to have certain works in your life and certain duties you have to fulfill before God will love you, before God will accept you. And Paul begins to write to them, and you can read in chapters 1 and chapters 2 as, God, as Paul begins to explain what the gospel is by the grace of God and how we accept by God's grace His forgiveness, how we uh, by God's grace are made children of God and not having to earn that position, but are placed in that position not by our works, but by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so you find in chapters 1, 2, really 3 and 4, as he explains what the gospel is, how he explains that it is by grace. And then in chapters 5 and 6, he begins to explain how grace works itself out in our life, what a grace-filled life will look like. It's not a life in which works has to complete the work of grace, but out of grace we begin to do certain works. Okay, uh, In chapter 5, in fact, he talks about the liberty, the freedom that we have to serve God by the grace of God and how grace leads us to serve God. Uh, this morning, I do not come to church, and I hope you did not come to church because you feel like if you are not here, then things will go bad in your life. Or that if you come here, then God will listen to your prayers more. Do you know that God has accepted you and I by the grace that he has bestowed upon us? It is a grace thing. Because of that grace, because we have been made children of God when you accepted Christ as your Savior, it leads me to say, I want to go and learn more about what God says. I want to do and live a life that God would be pleased with. And so grace leads us to do certain work. And then Paul admonishes them in chapter 5, and he says, listen, I want you to understand that we have a freedom, we have a, a liberty because of this grace where we don't have to do these commandments like in the law of Moses. In fact, he said, the law of Moses is really there to condemn us, right? Uh, when we hear, thou shalt not uh, kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie. That just helps us understand because we steal, lie, and cheat. And, and so the law helps us to understand we're not as good as we think we are. 
So Paul reminds them, listen, though we've been saved by grace, I want you to understand that though that law of Moses, there were some good things in the law, but that law really serves to condemn us. It serves to show us that we are not perfect. He says, I want you to understand, that's what the purpose of the law was. God just wanted to show you and me that we are not perfect in and of ourselves. That there is nothing that we can do in our own works to have his acceptance, to have his forgiveness. And he says, now that grace is in your life, you have all this freedom now to serve God. You have freedom to please God with your life. He says, but you got to be careful with that. With that freedom, he says, you got to be careful not to just sort of live however you want. Grace does not say you can live however you want. You can do whatever you want. We live in a culture today where many churches have a philosophy that says, well, we're saved, and so what difference does it make? It's all really about your intentions. Well, uh, we ought to have right intentions in what we do. We ought to have the right motivation and the right motives in our life, but There are things that grace will produce in your life that will please God. There are other things that in your life you can do that will not please God. And so Paul says, listen, use that freedom to please God. You say, well, uh, if if I do this, I'm not going to go to hell anymore. I've been saved. And that's what Paul said. He said, you're right. You're right. If you if you steal today and if you're a Christian, you're you're not going to pay for all of eternity for that sin. Grace has forgiven you. The grace of God has 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 uh, uh, positioned you to to be free from any penalty of sin in that manner. But Paul says, but just because you have been free from that penalty doesn't mean that you can just go ahead and do it. He says that grace of God should lead you to to please God with your life. It shouldn't lead you to do your own thing, but to do what God wants with your life. And so he's writing this to them, and in that thought, I want you to understand, in that vein is where we come to Galatians chapter 6. Paul is saying, so this is the grace-filled life. In in verse 1 of chapter 6, he talks about how we are to bear one another's burdens. We ought to love one another, have compassion for one another. Why? That's what a grace-filled life does. This is what reflects a grace-filled life. One that is pleasing God is one that is looking on the needs of others and not looking only on your needs. So then, and by the way, uh, haven't we seen that in a great way here in Texas? I mean, uh, that hurricane, and I want to thank each and every one of us that were part of this church that uh, helped donate, and and they took that truck on, I believe, Thursday morning. We took it up to Katy, Texas, and and try to help some of the churches up there. And I thank God that there are still some churches that have compassion for the people uh, uh, in in need, people that are in Houston that have really experienced tragedy in life, that there are still churches uh, that that, that have a desire to show the love of God by giving and sacrificing and bearing one another's burdens, just like Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, that we ought to do. There are some pastors that didn't quite have that kind of heart that was in the news recently with a mega, mega church there in Houston, the largest in the United States, didn't quite show that compassion. But I'm so glad that there are those that say, you know what, we need to bear one another's burdens. This is part of a grace-filled life. But then you get to verse number 7, and Paul says something interesting. He reminds us of a principle that we all must understand. He says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He he brings to a a mind in this grace-filled life, he reminds us that there are Choices and consequences in life, in the grace-filled life. There are times in your life where you're going to sow, and then there are times in your life you're going to reap what you sowed. 
This is just a, a basic truth, but a truth that we must understand if we're going to live a grace-filled life. We must understand that it is something that's going to rule our life. You know, the world has a philosophy this morning that says, well, you can just do whatever you want. You, you just follow your heart. And, and let me just say, that is a wrong philosophy of life. Don't, don't ever just think I can just sort of follow whatever I want to do and have no consequences for it. You can do that, but there's always consequences for the decisions that you make. Now, I see that there are four lessons that we can learn just in these two verses on this one principle of sowing and reaping. And that's really what I want to focus on this morning as we get started in this series. I want you to notice four different lessons that I believe will apply to us if we just understand this principle of sowing and reaping. Number one is this. There is a lesson of integrity. A lesson of integrity. The first there verses says, first three words says, be not deceived. Be not deceived. There's a lesson of integrity there for us to learn. You see, much of our world lacks integrity. They're dishonest with their words, and they're dishonest in what they share. They are dishonest in their work and what they do. They, they steal time from others. They steal goods and possessions from others. And one of the bigger, bigger uh, worries right now about Hurricane Harvey, the government's worried about how people scam others in a time like this. And, and we live in a world where that's just a reality. There are people out there that try to take advantage of people and steal from them and, and try to get what the, is not theirs. And, and there's a lack of integrity in our world. And Paul says, you got to understand in this principle of sowing and reaping that you there's a lesson of integrity to not be deceived by it. Be not deceived. You see, in Jeremiah chapter 17, you'll see this in your notes, verse number 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. One of the reasons that we cannot go along with the philosophy of the world that says that if you just feel it in your heart that it's okay, then you ought to do it. The reason we can't follow that philosophy is because our heart is very deceiving. It is deceitful above all things, the Bible says, and it's desperately wicked. So then how do we avoid deceit? Paul says we ought to be people of integrity. This, this sowing and reaping is to sow in integrity. We ought, to, we ought to have a life of integrity. So how do we avoid being deceived? Well, uh, first of all, we have to avoid that by standing with truth. Standing with truth. I like what verse number 10 says. The I, the Lord, Jeremiah 17, 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So one of the ways that we can avoid being deceived in our life is by standing with the truth of God's word. You know, the Bible says that it is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. The psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The psalmist understood it is by God's word that we're going to see areas in our life. It is God's word that's going to search our heart and show us where we are being deceived and being uh, being taken, if you will, with lies in our heart and in our minds if we're not careful. And so when you stand for truth, you'll 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 learn that you won't be deceived by false teaching. What, what was happening in Galatia and the churches there is that they were getting away from what the word of God has t was t teaching about this of grace. Paul had taught them this is how you get saved. This is what the grace of God will do in your life. And now these false teachers came in and began to deceive them. And Paul says, listen, you cannot be deceived. 
Don't be deceived. How? By standing with truth. But secondly, by remaining in humility. The next few words say, God is not mocked. You know that word there, mocked, uh, means to like hold in derision, to hold one no, one's nose up, right? To say like, I'm, I'm better than you. I don't, I don't need you. You ever met a person like that, right, that, that just thinks that there's so much above everyone else? And that word, God is not mocked, is to say this. You cannot just hold your, up, your nose up above God and say, I don't really care what you think. God, it doesn't really matter what you have to say. I, I have it all. It's, it's to hold God in derision, to deride him, to, to just lower who God is. And Paul says, listen, don't deceive yourself with this thought that what I do doesn't matter at all. That the choices I make really doesn't matter at all. That if I don't live a, a life of integrity, it really doesn't matter at all. Paul reminds the Christians in Galatia, you got to understand, not only do you have to stand in truth, but you, you have to remain in humility. Pride cometh before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride always goes along with deceiving ourselves. It always goes, it's hand in hand. When you begin to believe what the devil has for you and, and the lies that he throws you of how it really doesn't matter and it's, you know, it's in the past and nothing's going to happen if you do this, that of if you sow to corruption, nothing wrong, nothing bad is going to happen. It always comes with this attitude of pride. I know it all. I, 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 they can't teach me nothing. I, I already know it. I, I've already got life figured out. Paul says, I, I want you to understand, Christians there in Galatia, to not be deceived. God is not mocked. There is a principle here that you must understand. We must have a life of integrity. Have a life that stands on the truth of God's word. But not only is there a lesson of integrity, there's a lesson of investment in this principle. There's a lesson of investment. We see that Paul says, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall we also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. It's it's all about investments in your life. Sowing and reaping has the idea of investing. I like what George Moore, a 19th century merchant, he wrote these words in his pocketbook. He said, what I spent, I had. What I saved, I lost. What I gave, I have. You know, something that George Moore had understood was this principle of investing. You've got to invest in the right things. You've got to invest in something that is worthwhile. It's amazing to me how much time we spend in our lives investing in things that really don't matter. One of the things that the Lord convicted me of as I, as I studied this and as I thought about it was how much time sometimes I can spend watching a game that really does not matter. Last night, the Florida State Seminoles played against the Alabama Crimson Tide. I caught myself watching about three-quarters of that whole game. <laughs> and then I thought, why am I spending so much time in this game? Do you know if Alabama wins, you know what happens to me? Nothing. And you know what happens if Florida State wins or loses? Nothing. It's entertaining. It's something to do, but it's, it's an investment of my time that really leads to no profit. It's a bad investment, if you will, of time. Now, I'm not saying every time you watch a game, you're just you know, nothing but a lazy bum. That's not what I am saying. 
What I'm saying, it's important for us to, to view and say, what am I doing with my life? What am I investing in? You see, one of the things that Paul wanted to remind these Christians here in Galatia was you need to, re, you need to sow into things that really matter. Sow into things that really matter. What can we invest in that really matters? Well, number one, investing in God's word. Investing in God's word. We must spend time studying, memorizing, applying God's word. It is one of the things that is eternal. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the words of our God shall stand forever. This is something that is eternal. This is something that really, really matters. The vice president at the Bible college that I, I went to used to always ask, what on your calendar will make, will make it to eternity? What did you do in this past week that will matter in eternity? Man, that's a really convicting question. You could ask it another way. What are you investing your time in? I wonder if we were to stop and just sort of rehearse what we have done in these last four days, I wonder how much we could say that we really invested in things that matter. How much did you invest in the Word of God this past week? Did you memorize anything new? Did you study something new? Did you even spend time just reading the Word of God? I'm talking about something that really matters. Paul says, if you sow, you should sow to something that can reap life everlasting. We find that we are to invest our time in God's Word. Psalm chapter 119, verses 101 to 104 says, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. You know what helped David to begin to invest his life in things that mattered? Was investing time in the word of God. David said, how sweet it is to my mouth. Sweeter than honey, just to be in God's word. You know, I've noticed when you, when I've taken time in my life to just invest in God's word, it really is something that I've never regretted. There are Things in life, I must admit, that, that I, I do regret investing in. There are products that I have purchased that I really, really regret investing in. But I've never regretted investing in God's Word. And let me just say, you'll never regret investing in God's Word. It's something that matters. It's something that is eternal. There's a lesson of investment, of investing in God's word, but there's also not only in God's word that we should invest in, but in God's work. Investing in God's work. You know that the only work that will matter in eternity is the work that is done for God? I don't know what it is that you might do tomorrow morning as you get up and, and go to work, but let me just say that if in that place where you work, you share the gospel, if in that place you, you help and pray for others, if you, if you help and, and love others and are compassionate to those co-workers, let me tell you something, that work will make it to eternity more than if you're putting a radio together or painting or filling out paperwork. What will really matter is that work that you invested in God's work. So let me ask you, not only have you invested time reading what God has said, are you investing your life in 
what God has for us to do. You see, there's always a time of sowing and there's always a time of reaping. I think it's so sad sometimes to see Christians today that really invest so much time and they give of their strength and in their intellect, of their abilities to things that won't even last beyond 50 years from now. It's amazing what doesn't stop us from doing things that we want to do. It doesn't really matter how tired we are, but if we're going to work on our house, we, we're going to have to get up and do it. It doesn't really matter how exhausted we might be if the game is on and it's a great game. I'm going to stay up and watch it. And we invest so much of ourselves on things that are so temporary. Things that don't really matter. And Paul says, I, there's a lesson here of investment. There's a lesson here of what you're sowing you will reap later. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul reminds, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Paul says, listen, I can encourage you in a lesson to be learned about this principle that everybody has to experience in their life. It's this, invest in what matters. There's a lesson for investment. David Livingston was a Scottish missionary and explorer who spent 33 years in the heart of Africa. 33 years. He endured much suffering as he labored to spread the gospel and to open up that continent for other missionaries to come and try to reach the tribes there in Africa with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at one point, this is what David Livingston had to say. He said, people talk of the sacrifice that I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. And by the way, he did not just go there as a missionary. In fact, he was going there as an explorer. But being a Christian man, he wanted to explore, but also give what was most important. And that was the gospel of Jesus Christ. David Livingston wasn't there in Africa to say, let me see how many waterfalls I can, I can find and, and see what kind of explorer and see how famous I can be for what I find here in Africa. No, he was there to sow some things, sow the, the word of God and sow the work of God there in that continent. And he said, I, I see that so many people talk about the sacrifice I've made spending so much time in Africa. But he said, can that be called a sacrifice which is simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? He says, I emphatically say it is not a sacrifice. Say it is rather a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these things are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. He said, I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he, Jesus Christ, made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. You know what Paul was, I mean, what David Livingston's focus in life was? Investing in things that mattered. He said, this isn't a sacrifice. How can it be a sacrifice with the reward that is coming? <laughs> 
How can it be a sacrifice when compared to what God has done for me? This is not a sacrifice. This is an opportunity. You know, the grace-filled life, when you live the life of a Christian, you're living a great opportunity. You've got a great freedom. You've got a great life, a wonderful life, if you invest it in the right things. And if you invest it in the things that matter. Paul told those that are in Galatians, listen, don't deceive yourself. Be people of integrity. Understand this, that there's a lesson about the investment of your life. For what you sow, that shall you also reap. But I also see a lesson of endurance. There's also a lesson of endurance. You see, he says there in verse number 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. There's a lesson of endurance here, of persevering. We are to endure in good works, to do good works. You see, a life of service to God will require you to be strong and enduring. As you, as you serve God, it is the tendency for each person to grow weary. By the way, that's just implied in the statement, is it not? And be not weary in well-doing. What Paul is saying is if you do good, you're going to get tired of it. You will get faint and weary. You know, there are times in your Christian life where you're going to find that it's, it's not so easy to just get up every Sunday morning and come to church. You're going to find that it's not so easy sometimes to get really prepared for a class, for your Sunday school class, and, and get excited about teaching little kids that never really want to listen to you and they always are talking and things like that. It's sometimes really hard to get excited about that. Sometimes it's, a, it's, 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 it's just tiring to, to help people that you look around. They don't even want to help themselves. It gets tiring to try to tell a teenager over and over and over and over and over and over again the same thing and watching them make the same mistake after the same mistake after the same mistake, wrong choice after wrong choice after wrong choice. And it gets just tiring to just be like, let me help you. Let me pray with you again. Hey, let's work on this again. It gets tiring, and you can ask any of the young people that work at camp, it gets tiring sometimes to just be there and, and getting the, the sanctuary ready there at the camp and, and getting the games ready and, and getting the whole program ready. It gets very tiring, but let me tell you something, it's worth it at the end. Paul says, don't, don't get tired. You're going to get tired, but don't. You need to endure those times. Paul told Timothy, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He said, he, uh, Paul said, Timothy, just, just endure for a time. Will, William Wilberforce was, um, was a man that ended slavery in England. If you've never heard that name, you can look him up. William Wilberforce, man that brought to court and, and really ended slavery there in England, at least the slave trade. And there was a time in that fight where he got very discouraged. He had been already 10 years in this fight of ending the slave trade. It had been a long road of, of getting in courts and making the argument and, and trying to show and convince people why slave trade was wrong and why it really wasn't going to profit you at all how it was not going to bring God's blessing on their country. And so we, one night, he was very discouraged in this fight. 
he was getting very frustrated and he decided he was going to open his Bible and begin to just sort of leaf through it and, and, and read different things. And, and a piece of paper fell out and it fell on the floor and it was a little letter that was written by John Wesley, one of the evangelists of his day that was trying to help and he was preaching against the slave trade as well. And, and he had written William and he wrote this. He says, unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But he said, but if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary in well-doing. Go in the name of God and in the power of His might. William Wilberforce said, that was something that ignited me. It's something that excited me. It's something that refreshed me. And I continued and 10 years later, the slave trade was done. Much because of the work of William Wilberforce. But I, I wonder if, if John Wesley hadn't written that letter, if, if he would have just quit halfway through that. I wonder what would have happened with England. I wonder what would have happened with so many slaves that got to freedom because of his fight. That experienced liberty in their life because he did not quit. There's a principle here. There's a a, a lesson to be learned about just enduring. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't, want, I don't know what difficulties you're facing this morning, but can I encourage you? Just endure. It's hard. It's hard, but endure. I want you to notice not only are you to endure in good works, but endure through patience. You see, there's an understood truth here about patience. We live in a culture, do we not, where it's, it's hard to practice patience. Right? We have fast foods, we have microwaves, we can get on a plane and be literally two, 3,000 miles away in like two hours. It's hard to just be patient. We, we want payoff so, so quickly. I mean, in fact, you, you wait at a restaurant more than like 20 minutes and you're already getting mad at the, at the waiter and what's going on back there and what happened to my food. And uh, We have problems just waiting, just having patience. But you see, this principle of sowing and reaping includes patience. It requires patience. Paul said, listen, you're going to have to sow and you'll reap later. You see, this is an agricultural analogy. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever tried planting anything, but uh, uh, this is some, uh, uh, something that I cannot do. Uh, my wife, Rochelle, has started to get into it a little bit more and planting and, and landscaping some of the yard in the back. I, I just, I can't. I am one that really does struggle with patience. <laughs> you have to water it. You have to cultivate the ground. You have to do all these things that I have no time for, okay? And I just feel like, I, I uh, no. But you know that the Christian life, the, the principle of sowing and reaping has to do a lot with being patient and allowing these decisions to reap a reward later. You know that what America is going through, and sometimes there are some very big things that we're going through, big issues in America today that we are going through. And sometimes we think and, and we tend to have this mentality, 
Oh, man, it's the last president. Man, if President Obama wouldn't have been there, man, our country would have been great. No, you know, our country was already going down way before he was president. Do you know the issues that we are experiencing aren't because there was a Democrat in office or because there was a Republican in office? No, you know what? We are experiencing a lot of what we're experiencing because years ago, someone decided to sow this thought in America. We ought to have separation of church and say, let's just take prayer out of school. Look at our school system today. Do you know we are last among first world countries in education? Do you know with the money that's involved in our education that there are literally encouraging teachers that encourage students to just get a lunch and go right to the trash can and throw it away just so we can get the same amount of money next year? The issues we face today were because years ago, someone said, well, really, what's so wrong about that? If two people really love each other, what's the big deal? And they started promoting this, and they started giving this idea until finally, in 2012, the Supreme Court said, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. This is how we'll define marriage from now on. You see, what you sow today will come back tomorrow. Whatever you decide today will later come back. You will reap the decisions of today. That's why Hosea, when he was talking to the people of Israel and judgment was coming, he said, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. He said, right now, Israel, right now is the time to begin to sow righteousness, sow right decisions in your life. Paul reminds the Galatians, listen, right now is the time to just be patient. You just got to endure don't get tired and well-doing, and just be patient. God will always bring that back for you. You'll always reap. In fact, in Psalms chapter 126, verse 6, says, They that weep shall return with joy. They that weep going and bearing that precious seed shall undoubtedly come back rejoicing with joy. We find that there is a lesson in investment. There's a lesson in integrity. There's a lesson here of enduring. But I want you to know, lastly, there's a lesson of salvation. You see, the truth about sowing and reaping leads us to the truth about who we are. The Bible says that we have all sinned. We have all sown wickedness in our heart. You know, verse number 13 of Hosea 10 says, Ye have plowed wickedness, ye have reaped iniquity. Ye have eaten the fruit of lies. Because thou didst trust in thine own way, in the multitude of thy mighty men. Do you know that the man, that mankind, the, the state that we find ourselves in is because there was someone that decided to sow long ago a decision that brought about great consequence. The man by the name of Adam, by his decision, the Bible says, sin came into the world and then death by sin, so death passed unto all men for that all have sinned. Adam decided he was going to sow in this decision of rebelling against God, disobedience to God. And by that, he has brought on us a payment for sin. You see, the Bible says there is a payment for sin. There is a consequence for that decision of sinning, and the consequence is death. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. There are consequences for that decision, and that is death. Sin and all sin has a payment. 
But I want you to notice something else. Not only was there a decision by Adam that sinned and brought about sinfulness, uh, brought about death as its payment, but there was also another decision made, and that was by God himself. The Bible says that God became flesh and dwelt among us. He was made sin. God was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we, that's us, might be made the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. I want you us to understand this morning that though there is a, a payment for sin, that sin was paid for on the cross. Part of this principle of sowing and reaping is that Christ on the cross made that decision to save us. We can reap the rewards of the work of Christ on the cross. Part of the grace-filled life is understanding God's grace, what He did on the cross was for you and for me to pay for our sins, to reap a reward that we did not deserve. Romans 5 says, But, as, but not as the offense, so also is the gift. For if the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, which hath abounded unto many. For if by one man offense, offense Death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one who is Jesus Christ. There is a lesson of salvation this morning. If you have not made a decision to ask Christ to be your Savior, let me just say, there is a consequence for the sin in your life, and that is death. But the consequence of grace in your life is life eternal. I want to encourage you this morning, if you've not accepted Christ as your Savior, learn the lesson of salvation in this passage, and it's this. Salvation is by Jesus Christ alone. Salvation is by putting your faith in Him. You see, He says, if we reap to the flesh, we'll reap corruption, that is death. But if we reap to the Spirit of the Spirit, we shall reap life everlasting. That is salvation. This morning, there's Four lessons we can learn on this principle of sowing and reaping. That we must have a life of integrity. That we must invest on life, our life in things that matter. That we must remember we are to endure in doing well so we reap later the rewards of sowing good seed, of sowing right decisions. And a lesson of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. I pray that we would not only understand those lessons, but begin to apply them in our life, even this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word and for the truth of this principle. So many times we can deceive ourselves and think what we do really doesn't matter. Oh, but Father, the reality is it matters and it matters a whole lot. Oh, Father, how we need to this morning sow to the Spirit that we might reap life everlasting. How important it is to live a life of integrity, a life that is investing in those things that are eternal. And Father, if there be those that are going through difficult times, I pray that they remember to just endure because there will come a time of harvest in their life. A time of reaping the decision of sowing good works, of living a life that grace has led them to live, of pleasing you. Oh, the rewards are so wonderful. I pray that we would remember that if we can just endure, 
your blessing is on its way. Father, I pray that we would examine our hearts to confirm that we have made this decision of salvation. Pray if there be anyone that has not made that decision, that this morning they would make that decision. I pray that you just bless this time of invitation. Perhaps you're here, every eye is closed, every head bowed, but perhaps you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, those lessons, there are a lot of lessons I hadn't thought about in that principle, but, but the one that has struck me personally, Pastor, is this of salvation. I can't think of a time in my life where I remember specifically asking Christ to be my Savior, where I've received the grace of God in my life. I, I can't think of a moment in time specifically where I did that. But I'd like to make that decision this morning. I'd like to ask Christ to be my Savior. If that is your decision, would you raise your hand this morning? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Is anyone like that? Then perhaps this morning you are here and you're saying, Pastor, there are some lessons there on investment and integrity and enduring that I just, I just need to apply in my life this week. And there's just some things that God's been working in my life and working on me with. And, and some of those lessons just need to be applied in my life. Would you just pray for me? God will help me do that. Is there anyone like that? Just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. God bless you. I see those hands. God bless you. Amen. Father, I pray that this morning as I've seen hands, I pray for each person that raised their hand. Mine's up there included with them. Father, how I, we need and I need more of you. Pray that we would never be in a state of deceiving ourselves. I pray that we would not allow the temporary things of this life to overshadow the eternal things that really matter. Pray that we would always li live our life, especially this week, in the perspective of eternity. Help us to invest this week our time in your word. Pray that you would help us to invest our abilities, our talents, our strength in your work this week. And I pray that you would be honored and glorified in all that we are doing. I pray that we would endure and persevere to the end. We may live a life that please, pleases you, a life that is grace-filled. Pray that you would work on us, that your spirit would control us, to fill us, and use our life. That is our prayer, even this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. As we stand to our feet, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, just go a few announcements.